Our scripture reading this morning is Matthew 18, verses 21 to 35. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is God's word. Good morning, church. Today we are in the third part of a series called The Graces of Reconciliation, which is addressing areas in our church where, quite honestly, we need to do better. Diving into an understanding and hopefully a follow-through of practices in which we become a people who are fluent in the languages of grace. Two weeks ago, Pastor Ken led us through a study on Psalm 32, in the grace of confession, and how we both confess our sin to God and we confess our sins to others. This is called right angle grace. We are given uh, authority from God because he has shown us grace. We are then able to impart that to others, this right angle grace. And as we begin, I would like to share a real life story to display this right angle grace with you. On October, on October 2nd, 2006, a 20-year-old fireman named Matt Swatzel fell asleep while driving home after a 24-hour shift. Matt was awakened when he crashed into a woman named June Fitzgerald. June was pregnant and had a one-and-a-half-year-old in the backseat of her car. Unfortunately, June and her unborn child did not survive the accident, but the one-and-a-half-year-old did and left Eric Fitzgerald a widow. And I'd like to read a piece from this article written about this event. June's husband, Eric Fitzgerald, a full-time pastor, grieved the loss of his wife and child with close family and friends, including young people from his student ministry. One young girl told him she couldn't help but think of how the driver of the car must be feeling. He told her she was right and that they should pray, they should all pray for him it was his opportunity to practice the forgiveness he had preached so many times. 
Eric, Eric Fitzgerald said this, you forgive as you've been forgiven. It wasn't an option. If you have been forgiven, then you need to extend that forgiveness. Forgiveness is a grace-based choice to deny sin the power to negatively affect our relationships with someone who sins against them. For those who believe in Jesus and willingly follow him, we have received forgiveness. And because of that, we're able to impart forgiveness to others. This is that right angle, grace. We have received from God, which allows us then to carry it out. This is the forgiveness that Eric Fitzgerald showed Matt Swatzel. Only because of the incredible grace that God had shown Eric. The parable that was just read, thank you, Laura, is famously titled The Parable of the Unforgiving Servant. Jesus begins this parable by addressing his disciples. He has just finished instructing them how to handle conflict between one another. And this sparks a question from his disciple, Peter. Let's read. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. And what we don't understand is in that, day, in po- that time, Peter was actually being extremely generous with seven times because it was commonly taught during that day by the rabbi that you are allowed to give three times. Forgive three times. Peter, Peter knows that Jesus is going to probably be way more than the other rabbi. He knows it's going to be a little bit different. So he says, Master, seven. Seven times, right? Jesus throws him a curveball. But let's think about this. How unfortunate, how sad would it be if we got three chances? Three strikes and we're out. There'd be no hope for any of us. No hope. However, this was commonplace in the temples during that time. The spiritual teachers would teach three times. That's enough. But Jesus responds to the Peter's question. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. 77 is not, however, the final number. Jesus is not informing his disciples to keep a tally of how many times they've been sinned against. And once they hit 77, they're done. This isn't the sentiment here. He is stating that for those who have been forgiven, there must always be forgiveness offered. This is a shift from the teaching of their day. And even in today's world, we see false forgiveness that is based on a transactional merit system. This is a quid pro quo. You do something for me, I'll do something for you. I've sinned against you, you're going to do something for me, and I will forgive you if you just make it up to me. This is not how the kingdom of God works. What is commonplace for our world is not grace-based forgiveness that is found in the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus begins to lean more into his disciples, as he commonly does, about this idea with a parable. And if you haven't been in the church very long, a parable is a simple, to-the-point, short story that communicates a spiritual truth or a moral lesson. Jesus would often use these to teach his disciples when they weren't quite picking up what he was laying down. 
So let's read. Jesus goes on, Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So far, we've got a king and we've got a servant. The servant owes this king an incredible debt, one that in any rational sense at that time period could never be repaid. So I want you to pause for a moment. We're going to do a little math for those who enjoy math in the room. And if you don't, well, I'm sorry. Just bear with me. I need you to think of your daily earnings. Try to find a number. If you get paid on a two-week basis, divide it by 10. When you have that number, multiply it by 1 billion. And yes, that is billion with a B. 1 billion times your daily wages. Somehow this is what the servant had accrued against the king. To put that into more perspective, this sum of 10,000 talents was equal to more money than was circulating in Palestine during that time. Jesus is making a point here. The debt that this servant had accrued was unforgivable. It was unbearable and not something the servant could have repaid on his own. The king, to cut his losses, he knows he's not getting this money back. The king, to cut his losses and at least reclaim some of that debt, orders the servant, the servant, the servant's wife, his children, and all earthly possessions to be sold. And I don't know about you, I would have done exactly what that servant did. He begins to plead. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. How incredible. As Jesus said earlier, therefore the kingdom of heaven may not be compared. Jesus is identifying the debt accrued by the servant that was against this king as our sin. Our sins against the father. In this, there is only one way in which we could relieve our debt. That is through the blood of the lamb. God, in his incredible compassion, forgave mankind of the transgression against him only by his own grace. This servant pleads, and the compassionate king forgives. This king was not required to forgive, but he did because it was his character. Because of this incredible grace shown, we would expect that the servant would have changed his life around. He would be a reformed man, given a new lease on life. However, we know that's not the case. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. In seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe me. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded, pleaded with him, just like that servant already had. Have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. And when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. 
This servant was unchanged by the forgiveness that he was shown. He was cruel. He was greedy. He was unforgiving. Defined by what most likely got him into this position in the first place. Not defined by the grace that had set him free. What is so shocking and heartbreaking is the debt that this servant had accrued against the other servant was just over three months of wages. Something that he could have paid back over time. If we are not careful to consistently and deeply remind ourselves of the forgiveness that we have been shown by the compassion of God our Heavenly Father, we will fall into the snares of this world. We can be deceived into being selfish, greedy, and ungracious towards our brothers and sisters, just like this unforgiving servant. And even though we would like to not admit it, there is sin that happens within the church body. One day when Christ returns, that will no longer be the case, and I cannot wait for that day. But until then, this is our reality. Even within the church body, there is deceit, there's sexual sin, there's hatred, there's blasphemy, there's a lack of humility. Church, do not be foolish like the unforgiving servant. Will you be ready to forgive even when evil reveals itself? Will your heart not be hardened by the sin of this world, but softened by the call of our Father? Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. The king calls this unforgiving servant back and judges the man for his hardened heart towards his fellow servant. The king sends the servant to be tortured as he had deserved until he could repay the debt. And as we know, he would be tortured for eternity because there is no way that he could have repaid that debt. Not all who are offered forgiveness will respond. All, however, will be judged at their time of judgment. Everyone has accrued a debt against God that cannot be repaid through works and good deeds. The only payment that can save our broken souls is a payment of the sacrifice of the perfect being that is Jesus Christ on the cross. All, the, all God the Father requires of us is to respond to his call and follow his son Jesus. To be willing to bear our own cross and follow Christ. If we do not, a hardened heart leads to what we're about to be warned of by Jesus. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart, we will not reap, uh, we will reap punishment if we have not recognized the forgiveness of our Father. Even when Christ is teaching the disciples how to pray, he states the sentiment in Matthew 6 Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Church, we are called to live out this life as a reflection of devotion to the Father. This means living out of a grace that he has shown to us. Do not return grace with sin like the unforgiving servant. Live a life of grace-based forgiveness. 
when we impart grace-based forgiveness to others, we are displaying an identification with God the Father. In light of the parable of the unforgiving servant, let's now turn to uh, and focus on what forgiveness is not so we are careful to avoid this. We have five points, so if you're in your notes, these are the five points to take notes on. Forgiveness does not keep track of how many times you have been wronged by another individual. This is because the gift of forgiveness is not reliant on the offender, but the the offended, the one who was wronged. As we read earlier, Peter was instructed by Jesus that we must repeatedly forgive whenever it is required, no matter how many times. Think of how many times you have sinned against the Father, yet he still welcomes you with open arms. Point two. Forgiveness is not earned over time. We cannot earn forgiveness as it is grace-based. We are shown grace by the Father for no other reason than the blood of Christ. If time had any factor on forgiveness, this would allot it to being based upon earning merit. You cannot earn forgiveness. Forgiveness, point three, forgiveness shows no partiality. When we look at relationships with one another, it can often be common to forgive little offenses, but hold on to the big ones. John Piper at a recent Gospel Coalition gathering stated, no sin is ever merely passed over, none. It will be paid for in hell or it be paid for on the cross. When we come to God in repentance, seeking forgiveness, he does not forgive the small sins and still hold the big ones over our head. God graciously offers forgiveness for all sins for those who seek it in the name of Jesus, as should we. Number four, forgiveness does not happen halfway. You either willingly choose to forgive someone or you don't. You cannot halfway forgive someone. That's not forgiveness. What can often happen between two people is that one person might have repeated sin against the other. In this, a false partial forgiveness may be granted, only to be brought back up when this repeated sin comes up again. The Father does not reopen our previous sin. Our record has been cleared by the Lamb. Number five, forgiveness is not request-based. And this might be the one we struggle with the most. Forgiveness is not request-based. One of the most incredible showings of grace by the Father is that his forgiveness covers the sin that we both acknowledge and that we don't acknowledge. Jesus, in a prayer, asked the Father in Luke 23, 34, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. We live in a broken world that has directly marred the relationships to the extent that we do not always know when we are sinning against our brothers and sisters. Whether or not the offender asks for forgiveness, we must readily and freely throw them forgiveness. Pastor Jim shared this illustration with me in preparation for the sermon, and I couldn't not share it, so thank you, Jim. Forgiveness is like wrapping up a gift and storing it in your heart. 
ready to give to the offender whether or not they own up to their recognized offense. If they do come to you, however, graciously and joyfully offer this stored gift to them to share in the forgiveness that has been offered to you by Jesus Christ. Church, this is what we should be about. Forgiving like the Father has forgiven us. Now that we have a little bit of a clear representation as what to avoid in the forgiveness process, we look to give this right angle grace-based forgiveness as God intends for us to do. As we have received from the Father so that our Father allows us to impart to others. Remember that forgiveness is a grace-based choice to deny sin, the power to negatively affect our relationships with someone else. Grace-based forgiveness begins as a heart transaction. Remember the final line that Jesus says after he tells the disciples the parable of the unforgiving servant? So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. If you do not forgive your brother or sister, I believe it's important to assess whether you understand the forgiveness that you've been granted. Our forgiveness of others is born out of the sacrifice of Jesus and nothing else. As the Father shows us grace from the sacrifice of Christ, we also have the the capacity to show grace to others. This is a heart transaction that happens when we actively deny our own hope for selfish gain and payback towards another, but rather hope for their best, to see them succeed in the eyes of God. We must delight when a fellow believer asks Uh, acts as God has called them to act. A forgiven heart desires to show God's goodness towards them as they have been forgiven. This heart transaction is expressed as as both a comfort and a covenant. This is a transaction with the sinner. In 2 Corinthians 2, 7 through 8, Paul Paul has a personal concern for someone who has repented And he is concerned about their situation. And he's informing the Corinthians what to do and how to handle this situation. Paul tells them to forgive, but he also tells them how to follow it up. He says this, So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him. So forgive and comfort him. Or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. To comfort If you have ever wronged someone, you know the guilt and maybe even the fear that can creep in, that they might cast you in the wind for your wrongdoing. When we come to a saving faith in Christ Jesus, our sin no longer defines us. The world no longer defines us. We are defined by the blood of the Lamb. This comfort of no longer being defined by our sin is what Paul is describing. This is to give the person a comfort in hope that their failure does not define their relationship. This is an unwavering comfort. The covenantal side, the covenant in this passage is the reaffirmation of love towards that brother. How sweet it is to be met with grace when you have wronged someone. Remind them that they have begun a new chapter with you, turned a new page. Their former sin no longer has bearing on your relationship. Remind them that you are committed to their best so that glory may be brought to God the Father. 
Remember how Jesus did not tell Peter that whenever your brother or sister asks for forgiveness, to forgive them? Jesus informs his disciples that whenever the sin is committed, that forgiveness must follow. Whenever sin rears its ugly head back into the relationship, forgiveness must be renewed. This comfort and covenant process that Paul is describing in 2 Corinthians must be worked through every time. And when this happens, God is glorified. I very much enjoy taking personality tests. If you're on student ministry staff, we spend a lot of time talking about them. Um, and there's a test that I've, I've found that I really like because I feel like every time I take these tests, I learn something beneficial about myself. And it's called leading from your strengths and which gives valuable feedback as to how you perceive yourself in the work environment, what strengths you bring to the team, how to communicate with one another and the tendencies you might have. I'll read one line from this assessment based on my areas of uh, needed improvement. Jacob has a tendency to hold a grudge if his personal beliefs are attacked. And it's not just this one. It's a recurring theme in every single personality test, work assessment test. Jacob has an, uh, a tendency to hold grudges. Every single one. Maybe it's the northerner in me. However, I do believe that this is far more telling of the pull to live a non-forgiving lifestyle. In this, I know that I'm not the only one. It is so easy to hold grudges. It's so easy to hold a grudge against someone. And it can seem so challenging to forgive. This world wants to see you fail. It wants to see you put your own needs ahead of your brothers and sisters. Leviticus 19.18 refutes this sentiment and states, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. We are brothers and sisters as we have been adopted into God's family. Do not let the grudges between one another drive a stake between the seats of the pew. As we begin to land this plane, I want you to ask yourself, how would you want God to relate to you? Because as we've read in scripture, it says if you condemn others, God will condemn you. Forgive as we have been forgiven. Luke 6, 37 to 38 states in four different ways, the judge will judge, the condemned will condemn, the pardon will pardon, the recipient gives. Be the recipient. Give. Be the pardoned. Pardon. How you treat your brothers and sisters in church matters. We serve a God who has gifted forgiveness to his children. We must be a church known for readily available grace-based forgiveness. If you are struggling to forgive your neighbor, where do we start? We start with our worship. We start with our heart. Surrender this struggle to the Lord. Look at what the Father has done for you. Measure his mercy towards you. Look at the depth and extent of your sin against him. How, uh, when you begin to have an honest sense of the greatness 
of, this, of your sin and the greatness of his forgiveness. Your love for him will grow. And unlike the unforgiving servant, birthed from such love will come a heart that is ready to offer others forgiveness. Even the neighbor that has done you wrong, even the friend who has betrayed you, or the failure of those you trusted, forgiveness is not an option for those who have been offered forgiveness. As I shared earlier about the forgiveness given between Eric Fitzgerald and Matt Swatzel, I only gave you half the story. Not even half the story. It was just the beginning, quite honestly. Eric forgave, after Eric forgave Matt, they two didn't see each other for two years. On the anniversary of the accident, Matt, the offender, was heading to the store to purchase a condolence card for Eric. And it just so happened that he bu- they bumped into each other in the parking lot. The guilt had been building up in Matt's heart. The shame had been building up in Matt's heart. And Eric didn't know what to say. He could see it on his face. He did the only thing he could think to do. He went over and hugged his brother. And that started an incredible relationship of reconciliation between those two men. They continue to meet to this day. Matt now considers Eric a big brother and Eric has shown him grace and guidance through this incredible tragedy. Church, I encourage you to evaluate that if there is someone here that you've wronged, go seek forgiveness from them. Don't wait until tomorrow. Don't wait until next week. Go seek reconciliation and celebrate the joy of forgiveness with your brothers and sisters. If you need to forgive someone, remember what the Father has forgiven you of. Find hope in his forgiveness and let that fuel your heart towards those who have wronged you. And, they, and if they seek, and if they do seek forgiveness from you, be gentle and full of joy that a brother and sister has chosen reconciliation over a hardened heart. A community that fully embraces grace-based forgiveness will be a community operating for the well-being of others. We will grow in our humility as we remember how broken we are. We will grow in our gratitude as we acknowledge the forgiveness that has been given to us. And we will celebrate the joy of salvation from Christ alone. The words of Eric Fitzgerald, it wasn't an option. If you've been forgiven, then you need to extend that forgiveness. Do not let this deceiver blind you and allow the sin of others to hold power against you. I charge you to be a church of grace-based forgiveness. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you that you are compassionate and just towards your people. As you have been graceful towards us, we ask that humbly that you will refine us to your image. If we have sinned against our brother, we ask for your grace, Father. If we need to seek forgiveness, we ask that you grant us the power and humility to do so. Lord, you are above all and for your people. Create in us a heart that reflects more of you and less of us. We ask this in your holy name. Amen.